Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Craig Frelick. He is teaching, designing technologies and scientists for over 27 years. He's an author, a podcaster, and passionate enthusiast of immersive technology. Craig believes that the critical analysis of the power that technology might yield in our daily lives is essential. When used effectively, these tools can spark awe, wonder, and leverage powerful engagements that support lifelong learning and forces the users to lean in to the content. Uh, Craig enjoys teaching every day to help students innovate, adapt in the ever-changing world. And without any delay, I'd like to welcome Craig. Hey, buddy, how you doing today? Hey, what a great introduction, Dylan. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm stoked to have you here. And uh, yeah, this is going to be great. Looking forward to diving in deep and, and going at it with you. Um, one thing I'd like to get started with is uh, a little bit of your background and your origin story. Um, and we'll, we'll dive into that. I am getting that sound again. I do have to announce it while we're getting into it. So um, it, the feedback has happened. So I don't need if you can touch any bells or whistles or anything. But it's cycled back. I can do some magic. See if you can do some magic. See what happens there. It is still. Oh, it stopped. We're good. There, we're good. How's my audio? Your audio is good. It is good. And the, the, the sound has stopped, which is fantastic. Thank you so much, Greg. So, so much appreciate that. Uh, going back to it, let's, let's, let's dive right back into this. Um, so you have a history of teaching, designing, educational curriculum, using VR. Can you please give me a little bit of your origin stories that led you up to actually doing that type of activity? Yeah, it's a, it's a great origin story. So uh, I, my son, who's now 19, has always been a compadre for me. So when I was tinkering, he was right there beside me. So, you know, we tinkered with 3D printers and he played along and, you know, we, we tinkered with laser cutters and robotics, all sorts of fun gadgets and toys. And so we were walking through the mall and uh, the Microsoft store in the mall that we were walking through had this huge display right at its entrance with a VR setup. And this was 2016. And my son and I aren't huge gamers, but it just sparked our interest right away. And he's like, dad, can we go try this? And so after filling out like piles of forms and paperwork for him, he donned the headset and he was having so much fun playing uh, the lab, which is uh, a valve sort of mini game series and in there is this crossbow and he was just you know he couldn't believe it the controllers were vibrating for him with haptics as he's pulling back the bow so he was so enthralled he's like dad you got to try this and so i did and i i donned that and i i was hooked after that experience and what hooked me was i had i couldn't fathom how real it was and my teacher wheels were spinning, thinking that this this is experiential learning, you know, where we don't have to pay for a bus or fill out risk forms. And so, you know, off we went to the races thinking how we could use this in the classroom. 
Beautiful. Yeah, there's there's always that moment in VR. Like when you try it for the first time, there's certain experiences that just get burned into your brain because it kind of just expands what is possible. Because you're like, oh, this is a whole new reality I'm stepping into. And then you just kind of like look back and see, oh, this, this is how I can apply it to my world. And education, especially with kids, like kids take to VR like a fish to water. And there's something about it is so cool. Um, and so for you personally, you saw that how you can apply it as an experiential learning, like how have you, um, how have you taken to uh, taking education and mixing it with this entertainment, uh, entertainment world of virtual reality? Yeah, I, I started to realize that there was different tiers of VR experiences. So once we, we, we ended up purchasing three headsets for the school I was at at the time. Mm-hmm. Additionally, we had our own headset at home. So I had a lot of time to sort of play around and, and look at different uh, games that might be education-based. And some I call lower tier because you don the headset and you could look around, but, you know, there wasn't much to do. And, you know, that, I say that's akin to, you know, paying for a bus you know, buying the tickets, getting all your forms, driving to an amazing location to travel and not getting out of the bus. So some of these VR experiences were just, like I said, look around almost like 360 videos, but they didn't really live up to the potential that I think VR should have. And that's to be interacting with things within your space to start to be curious. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you nailed in the head with that one. The there's like a, a thing called interaction disappointment, where in VR you want to go do a thing and you can't do a thing, and like inside you go, oh, you get sad, right? And like 360 videos looks compelling, like visually. If you've never actually done it, you're like, wow, this looks so real. But really, inside the VR experience, it's that ability to interact with the world, and you're constantly discovering and covering things. And by doing that, you're almost telling yourself a story, which is really, really neat and really powerful and profound. So I, I have a complete alignment um, with you when, when you're talking about that. Uh, it's almost like I've said this once before. I was working at, at a toy innovation place way back in the day. And they wanted to only do 360 videos. And I was focused on multiplayer interactives. I'm like, look, do you want to be a ghost where you have no arms, no legs, you're stuck and you can just look around? Or do you want to be a god? Like, do you want to be able to do anything, anywhere, anytime, anyone? It's like, what do you want to be? It's easier to do the, the, the former, but it's way more more impactful to do the latter. So um, that's I uh, definitely uh, feel you on, on these on these pieces with um, with looking at the interaction pieces. I mean, what are the areas that you're currently looking at in terms of interaction for education in the virtual space? Uh, they, they cover the gamut, Dylan. So, mm-hmm. of course, you know, my. My area of study at university was within STEM and the sciences. And so, of course, I gravitated first kind of there, you know, discovering things like this. You know, there is a a pancake version on the computer, but the VR version of fantastic contraption is amazing. And and any student that I've allowed to try fantastic contraption, you know, basically becomes so upset that we have to take the headset off them because yeah. there's so much learning and discovery and it makes them curious because they have all these objects that they can use to create this wheeled contraption that then sends this little jelly ball sort of 
down this fake world into hopefully this jelly wall, which then gets them to level up to another level. And, you know, trial and error is the name of the game. And kids can comfortably struggle with thoughts and ideas, which education, you know, especially uh, in the 80s and 90s didn't do well. And I think we're starting to come around in education to realize that kids need to be big thinkers and not necessarily memorizers. And VR, again, is kind of the magic bullet for that if you pick the right applications. Yeah, I haven't played fan Fantastic Contraption in, in a minute, but that that is an incredible game where, you know, it's, it's a physics-based system where you can kind of duct tape together all these different physics objects, and the goal is to get it across the finish line. And it 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 is the most... Uh, it is like the definition of janky engineering, like a hack together. If you had bubble gum and duct tape and you're trying to put together like a go-kart, you know, that's kind of the essence of that, which is incredible. It is so funny, right? And that is another thing that happens is like, you got to be careful when you're designing these experiences, because if you don't put a time limit around it, like the person that rips off the head is the person that steals the fun. <laughs> and you got to be very careful, man. So we had a we had one of the games that we made was a climbing game. You could climb across these candy wonderlands and race each other across the stuff. And before we had no time limit. And then at some point, we just have to rip the heads off the people that got mad. So we would put a three-minute time limit for rounds so that, oh, round's over. Okay. And then they take off the headset. And uh, that was one of our, our lessons learned with that is really, you got to be wary of ripping off headsets off of people. And yeah. I, and I remember in the 90s when the internet was just a thing and I was mm -hmm. teaching at that time. You know, I don't look that old, but I'm fairly old. And we, we us teachers had like a computer in the back of our classroom. You know, we were mm -hmm. still heavily relying on textbooks and photocopied worksheets. But we had this one computer in the back of the classroom and we're all looking at each other like, what do we use it for? You know, and we ended up using it for its lowest common denominator. And that's to go look things up on the internet like. You know, let's get them to go to the encyclopedia. And we just didn't quite understand yet how that tool might be amazing. And it wasn't until a guy out of San Diego State University came up with this notion of web quests. So Bernie Dodge was a professor at San Diego State University, and he crafted these things called web quests. And web quests put kids into teams and everyone had a job within the team and they had to kind of solve a mystery where uh, it was like a, a little sort of inquiry scavenger hunt using the web. And that sort of, to me as an educator, sparked the idea that these technological tools should be used for that. Not, you know, in the case of VR, to put on a VR headset and look at a bunch of paintings on the wall and who painted them because we, you know, that's not the magic of VR. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's about finding the magic in VR. It's not taking like the old, what works, you know, what worked on web or PC isn't going to work as, as you jump into these new mediums, the evolution of it changes. Right. And so you see, okay, how do we have to think about this from a different angle, a different lens that kind of makes it uh, more beneficial. And you're right. The, the old way of teaching where it's like, open up a book, read the book. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to yell at you for an hour. Then you're going to go home and do homework. And they're going to come back and like, it's not the, that, that cycle um, in VR especially is, is very, very difficult. I mean, we can see that like what happens with kids on zoom, as we know with the whole pandemic zoom era, what do kids do? They tune out, they turn off the screen, they look away. There's 
a lot of things where they, they completely disengage and that's because of they're not being compelled to go through this. They're not, they're not being pulled from the inside. You know, they're being forced from the outside, which is a very, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult way to teach. Um, how, how do you, how do you structure the curriculum to, to make it more compelling? Yeah. Cause I mean, that's the biggest criticism. You know, I have done workshops for teachers about VR and that's their first question is, well, how can I use this device to cover my curriculum? And my first question is, let's have a look at your curriculum, because uh, just like teaching methodologies, curriculums can be outdated. Like uh, curriculum nowadays still should have important content. And by content, I mean things like, you know, these are the elements on the periodic table. You know, is it important to learn that? Probably. Or uh, this is these are the parts to the heart and textbooks and interactive 2D websites, those are great tools for that part of your curriculum. But a more robust, progressive curriculum also gets kids to understand what we might call concepts, bigger ideas, like the, the term systems thinker. If you're a systems thinker, you're seeing like all these things in front of you and making connections about which of those should be put together almost like pieces to the puzzle, but which parts maybe do we don't need almost like if you're a problem solver, you are an excellent systems thinker. So why not get kids to flex those systems thinking muscles by allowing them to engage in VR experiences that have that big, broader curriculum concept. Escape mm -hmm. rooms is a great, you know, is a great example of that. And in VR, there are tons of escape room like experiences. Um, you know, I expect you to die. To die is a wonderful sort of problem-solving, puzzle-based uh, VR experience that you probably couldn't do in the physical real world. But you can do it in VR, and it's quite compelling. I expect you to die is an amazing example of that, made by Shell Studios. Um, I had Jesse on the podcast and was talking with him. And you're right. It's like, the thing is, like, with VR, you're trapped in a chair. And they're like, well, you want you want someone to, and he was telling me, he's like, you want someone to be a hero in a game, but they're trapped in a chair. They're like, what kind of stupid hero constantly finds himself trapped in a chair? And and, and they're like, oh, a, a Bond, a Bond, James Bond always finds himself trapped in these chairs and situations where he's stuck in a place where he's got to get out. So they they designed it around the medium because they said, look, they're going to be trapped in the spot. How do we leverage this, the interactions in that right? And so that's approaching it from that angle, which is a, it's, it's a redesign. It's not, it's not the same thing as, you know, putting up like a, a, a 2D pre presentation screen and clicking through the slides as you talk to people. But it's, it is more effort. But you're right, that critical thinking, exploratory things. Kids want to learn as long as it's an engaging way. Like they, kids want to find out how to get out of the safety to die. You know, it's, it's, a, it's virtual life or death. Uh, for them in that place, but it's it's an incredible experience. Um, so, I mean, with that, you're you're talking about those 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 big concept pieces. You know, what do you think are some of the big threshold guardians, which I would call in terms of uh, the 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 journey? What are some of the things preventing educators from from bringing in these types of experiences and educating them around these core concepts? What do you think is the biggest friction points for them? Uh, absolutely, the notion that standardized tests take precedence due to external stakeholders who say, you know, in order for us to get this X amount of funding or, or in order for us to look good as a school, our students must 
do well on standardized tests. And that obviously then means that you can't very well on a standardized test assess concepts. Like how do you, how do you assess identity or how do you assess, you know, change? You can't on a, on a, on a paper and pencil test question. So these bigger ideas that we, I think kids, you know, form this elastic thinking methodology for, they, they get pushed by the wayside and it's more the lower level sort of content or knowledge mm -hmm. that uh, starts to take precedence. And so, you know, fun, you know, field trips, experiential learning field trips, they're not on, you know, they'll maybe happen at the end of the year, but they take a back burner because tests take so much precedence, sadly. See, and that's the challenge is that we, you, I think you nailed it, nailed it really well there is, you know, the schools, the, the, the point in the school is to educate, to make a well-rounded child, to have them grow up to life, to be able to face the challenges ahead in life. But the problem is, is that doesn't fit inside a multiple choice box. And so in order for them to prove that they're effective, they then, they've then basically cut out all the pieces, um, almost like you, you, I would think of the, the, the factory farming or any of these other situations where they, they slice and dice and they cut out all of the essences of the things that actually make it healthy. And they said, well, but this is the most efficient way for them to learn. But it's, it's more the more efficient way for them to remember the answers that they were given. And so that gap between what actually makes a critical thinking, emotionally aware, uh, positively collaborative student is not the same thing as being able to answer all the facts and figures on a test. So how do you, how do you rectify those two issues of the funding dollars comes from the, the stat scores, but the well-rounded children's comes from this amorphous blobs of, of life experiences. Mm. I think if I had the magic answer for that, I'd be a rich, wealthy man. But uh, <laughs> for me personally, uh, I've always sort of found a way to condense the curriculum, you know, serve that sort of master mm -hmm. of making sure they're ready for the test and then spending way more time doing fun, immersive stuff. You know, the other day, for example, we uh, we played the great uh, VR game called Akron. So Akron is wonderful because it's an asymmetric game. Asymmetric uh -huh. means that you, if your school only has a limited number of headsets, but you want everyone in the class or as many kids as possible to be participating instead of just standing around or waiting in line or watching on a screen while one kid or two kids or three kids are in VR. These asymmetrical games are fantastic. So Akron, which is Attack of the Squirrels, is wonderful for that because one kid is this giant tree with the headset on and the VR controllers, and then everyone else on their phones can be the little squirrels who are trying to steal acorns from the giant tree. It's like the modern you know, technological version of Capture the Flag. And so what was neat about this, though, Dylan, which I think educators don't realize and they need to trust was I didn't say anything to kids except how do you play the game? But sure enough, within probably 10 minutes of playing the game, the kids were starting to work more as a team. So the squirrels were all talking mm -hmm. to each other saying, OK, you do this, you do that. And so 
our debrief session after we played probably 40 minutes at Akron was so, you know, the big idea of what's, what's an effective way to get a team going. And they had lots of ideas because they were so engrossed in it and they were so immersed in it that the learning stuck. And I think educators just need to trust that this, these experiences that we provide for them, although, you know, you may, they may not know right off the get-go what it's all about by the time it's all over and you talk to them about here, you know, let's talk about this. Like, let's talk about your communication skills while this game was going on. Like, tell me how that went. How did you feel about that? Or, you know, let's talk about how you guys were all trying to sort of take leadership roles and so on. That's awesome. And you, that is a great example of your, you put them inside experience and you say, okay, this is a game. Well, what do you need to do to figure it out? And then the, the collaboration that they had to try to solve the problem created all of the, there was a, there was an innate desire to uh, steal all the acorns from the tree. Um, and, and that, that innate desire, I mean, they had to come up with clever plans, which means they had to work together. They had to communicate. They had to be able to do things that were a challenge. And that right there is, is if you can design something or you can give something to these, these students that actually in create um, an actual hunger to solve the problem mm. versus like, Oh, what's a two times four right? There's not a hunger there. There's no desire there. But if you needed to solve that in a game to be able to stop the laser beam from going across your, 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 your best friend inside the game, and it was a matter of you had to do these calculations, that makes it so much more compelling of an actual thing versus the, the, the neutered down version of education. So I love that. I actually never played this acorn stealing game, but it sounds like a ton of fun that my niece and nephew would totally be all about. So. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, another one that's in that genre or category is there again, this one has a, a, a computer or 2D version, but mm. uh, the VR version is uh, even more immersive and that's keep talking and nobody explodes. I don't know if you've heard <laughs> of that one. I, I, I've, I have played that one. It's, it's definitely, um, um, ended up in arguments. It's definitely, it definitely debases down into arguments that, that, that gap of communication. Yes. Do, yeah. Do you want to just explain a little bit of what keep talking? Nobody explodes is. Sure. And then I'll, I'll sort of elaborate how, yeah. how it plays out in my classroom. So Please. what happens is one person dons a VR headset or they could have a computer and on the computer is this cartoonish looking bomb with wires and buttons and symbols and maybe like a, an old-fashioned like light up Simon Says thing and like in the movies they, they have no idea how to diffuse the wires they have no idea how to you know make the buttons go away but outside of VR or outside of the view of the person who has the computer someone has a manual with all that information so if I have the VR headset on and I I push play or start, I have to, as the timer clicks down, I have to start communicating with my team outside. And so I might say, I see six wires on the bomb. And then they might read on the manual and the manual might say, if the bomb contains six wires and the third wire is red, cut the, the last wire. So I might, they might say to me, well, is there a red wire? And I'll say, yeah, yeah, there's one red wire. And then the manual might say, well, if there's two batteries, Hold off for a minute. Don't cut the wire till, you know, this number shows up on the bomb. And it's total two-way communication, you know. And we, we bring that to the real world, not just with the movies, but, you know, we talk about 
how, how if you're a person operating a, a kid's help phone or a suicide hotline, or if you're someone who's an air traffic controller, you know, so we tie in those sort of real life jobs too to talk about what is affected two-way communication and in what sort of context is it different depending on sort of what you're communicating. That's so good. And uh, yeah, there is, there is something to, cause it's one is holding complex concepts in your head and then being able to communicate that in an efficient way. I mean, how many errors happen in life because people can't communicate because, Oh no, I didn't mean the last, I mean the last for me, not the last from you. I, you know, there's all these little <laughs> pieces that happen and you're right. That's a great example of, of complex communication that actually goes to a, um, an actual, uh, there's a real world use case. Now, hopefully they're not diffusing bombs anytime soon, but the looking at the situation is that's some great critical thinking. Is there any way to be able to like, like break down these types of tests on the backside, being able to actually say like, look, this is effective. They are, there is, this is showing critical thinking. Is there anything that, that, that they can do to merge this kind of old school style of, you know, check the box and new school style of experiential learning that, that, that works together. Well, I mean, learning theory says something like this. So we learn a few important facts. Mm. Great. But if we can anchor those facts to a concept, you know, so you think about this, like a, if you're a visual person, you know, maybe you have a whole bunch of little mini marshmallows, right? Those mini marshmallows are facts, mm -hmm. right? And then what if we could take uh, little sticks, little toothpicks, and connect them to something bigger like a, a large chocolate bar? So the large chocolate bar kind of holds on to the mini marshmallows with the toothpicks. Well, the large chocolate bar in learning theory is actually the concept. So how do you get kids to remember the whole thing? Concepts make content sticky. So... You know, systems thinkers might learn some important properties of bridges and, you know, uh, tension and compression. But then we need a concept to anchor that so that it all sticks together. Yeah. By the way, I, I appreciate you explaining concepts in the order of food with me. You have, <laughs> you have my attention. I'm like, I, I can visualize it because I'm like, I'm waiting for those grand cracker crackers to come as part of the story. I like because you got you got the chocolate and you got the marshmallows. I'm just okay. What is what is that piece around? And uh, it's it's it's. I think it's helpful. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, that makes a lot of sense. So you're talking. The, the, so you have the the general the ideas, right? The, the concept is the overlapping. And if you can understand the, the the content, then you can pull from that source, and you can always you can always output anything from there. So it's, if you can get those concepts down, then everything else makes sense. Like um, volume and water or physics physics objects or any of these other types of um, elements what are your what are your situations have you have you explored anything in the areas um you're talking about communications and and communicating big concepts what about like social emotional learning what about mm -hmm. the ability to navigate these 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 emotional waters and things like that this seems to be a new thing that's coming into this era um have you seen anything in the areas of virtual reality and social emotional learning that you have seen to be effective training tools? Yeah, uh, you know, one that comes to mind again uh, that we've used in some of the schools that I've been at, you know, one is called Nature Treks. 
So Nature Treks is, is a VR experience and you can change the serene environment that you're in. And our uh, social, emotional, or we call it the wellness center. Often in schools, you have this wellness center and the wellness center also helps out kids who maybe have, they're operating under high levels of anxiety and those high levels of anxiety can be triggered depending on what might happen during the day. And they can go to you know, the wellness center, which is a safe place. Usually there's a, a school counselor or a psychologist there and, you know, they can calm them down or, or talk them, you know, talk them down, so to speak. And they have a couple headsets and on it is nature treks and nature treks is, is basically letting you, you know, quietly wander and meander one of about six different serenes or 3d environments. You know, one is a snowscape and the snowscape, you know, has sort of snow sort of gently coming down and you can use the, your joystick to, to, to either teleport or just slowly move through there and the scenery changes and, you know, there's little bunny rabbits running by and, and uh, they have, you know, a beach one where you can sit on the beach and you, the water, the ocean comes in and out and you have the beautiful sound in the background. And so that's one that comes to mind under uh, social emotional is just a, a quiet place in a busy, vibrant school. A quiet place is hard to find, but VR can provide that space for kids who just want to, you know, chill and relax. Mm. I actually haven't tried Nature Tracks. I've seen it online a little bit, uh, but I fully don't, uh, you know, until you actually experience it, I can't, I can't speak too much to it. So it's, it's, it's nature environments that you move around and it's, it's just a beautiful place to kind of just, just lower that, that, um, uh, the anxiety and the stuff that builds up and the pressure that people have as they go through because uh, school is definitely a lot of social pressure. Um, so, it, so it kind of drops them a bit and then you can kind of send them on their way. Is that the other so social emotional thing that I see, especially in, in the design and then phys ed teachers all the time talk about that. And that's getting kids to be gritty, more resilient. Like what happens when a kid runs into a roadblock or fails, you know, in science, let's say they're designing in physics, uh, you know, bridges to withstand a certain amount of uh, torque or compression and tension. And so they're building these bridges and, you know, kids who uh, have to think divergently. So divergent thinking means that all of a sudden, you know, the application spectrum goes way out. It's not just filling in worksheets, which is convergent thinking. Divergent thinking means that, you know, they need to be a bit more creative in what they're doing. They can sometimes be crippled by this idea or notion that um, there's not a linear path to their learning. And so getting kids comfortable with challenges that make them fail often is great social emotional learning. Mm. Yeah, there's that that resilience, and there's also there's a there's like a sub story that goes on there too. Like if they believe that they can overcome it, like in in certain video games, it's, it's really interesting. Like mm. in certain life challenges, like we put a kid in a video game, virtual game or otherwise, and they believe that they can actually get through, they're gonna grind through that repeatedly over and over and over again. But if there's a if there's a thing going on where like I can't do this, this isn't going to work out, you know, um, for whatever reason, uh, maybe it's uh, I don't know, talking to that girl or I don't know some sort of real life true drama that goes on in schools. 
um, then they don't, they will, they'll break down, they kind of get that helplessness behind it. So I do like that because if you, if you give them something really hard, and you know, I'm trying to think of what that would, you know, what that would look like in VR, you know, have the kid walk across a desert in VR and not give him any real water. I don't, I'm not too sure. I don't actually have a, I, it may not be uh, ethically sound, um, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because we're trying to balance out of, you want the kids to go through challenges. You want them to struggle and fail, but at the same times you want them to um, feel good about themselves. You want them to feel comfortable. You want them to feel safe. You want them to feel like all those other pieces. So it's a, it's an interesting balance. Mm. Um, what do you, in terms of the virtual reality aspect and, and creating the educations, all that stuff, do you have like a holy grail or a goal or something that you're seeking to achieve by by continuously looking at these designs and curriculums and educations? Is there is there something that you would love to see as a, as a holy grail or something that you hope to happen in the educational system? You know, this is sure evolved for me. It's a great question. You know, when I started this journey, probably in 2016 with my origin story, uh, I probably would have answered full VR school, but uh, I've had the opportunity to teach some classes in VR. So uh, there's a company called Victory XR, which offers online virtual reality classes. So I taught one on design. And so I had students come in, they were, all over the world they had their headsets on and we met and of course it was a series of eight lessons i believe and um that was believe it or not quite mentally taxing on me to teach that approximately 50 minute class so i couldn't after experiencing that i couldn't imagine more you know to teach like two or three classes in a day inside VR with a VR headset. So originally Dylan, the Holy grail answer would have been to have full on VR school, but mm. I changed my mind on that. And, you know, as headsets maybe get better, uh, I might come back to that, but I think ultimately is we recognize through our work, that VR can be amazing at certain things. And we've already talked about those certain things. They're great at giving kids immersive experiential learning where they can interact and engage with material like they maybe wouldn't be able to in the real world. And that's when every kid should have then an opportunity to don a VR headset and do stuff like that. You know, whether, like I said, it's, through understanding maybe identity. Uh, you know, Jeremy Balinson and his folks at Stanford University have put out a number of uh, interactive and engaging VR experiences that help us understand more about, you know, identity, for example, in their becoming homeless VR experience where you, be, you become so empathetic towards what a homeless person is. And what a safe way to get kids to understand that homelessness isn't always the person who's homeless. It's not always their fault. And the VR experience, which is, like I said, it's not passive. You're, you're engaged, you're interacting, you're doing things. I've used that in my classroom and kids who, you know, are uh, trepidatious to go downtown to 
interact with the homeless people sure became much more empathetic towards, you know, why people are homeless. So using VR for things like that, where we maybe wouldn't, wouldn't enable or afford the kid an opportunity to have that kind of experience is where I think every school should therefore be getting VR headsets to do those sorts of things. Mm. Yeah. Virtual reality is amazing at creating empathy. It's really good at when you put someone in there, you can put someone in the shoes of the person. Um, I know they did that also. Um, there's, a, there's been other experiences also with what it feels like to be a certain race and what it's like mm -hmm. to get harassed by police. And there's been um, a bunch of experiences that come out like that, that you actually get that feeling because you, it feels like you, and then people start treating you a certain way or you start experiencing what it's like to be that. And then you start to have true empathy because it's hard to sometimes get out of our own skin and imagine what it's like to be other people um, and what, what it's like to live in that way. Uh, and there's a lot of value in that. The uh, It's funny though, what's interesting is sometimes with holy grails, you're like, this is my holy grail. And then you get it and you're like, that's not my holy grail. <laughs> you're like, I'm, I'm done with this. Give me something new. What uh, could you, I just, I'm super curious with the, the, the class you're teaching. Like, was it, was it like they're inside classrooms are all seated there. You have a PowerPoint presentation, just scrolling through things. Is it like, a, was it a traditional classroom model just redubbed in VR or cause I'm, I'm curious about the, 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 that experience and, um, and what about it was taxing to be 50 minutes inside there? Yeah. So uh, because I had sort of had, good VR legs already and had sort of a strong opinion about VR and what VR should be used for and what VR maybe shouldn't be used for. Uh, when I agreed to take on the class, uh, I assured them that it would be interactive. So the whole premise was uh, wrapped in kind of a design challenge. So the, the problem that I posed to them was that uh, you know, what if, what if you were a bit of a nomad, like a, a, a refugee, and these refugees, one of their problems is they're constantly on the go and they have to pack up and pick up and away they go to some other camp or whatever. So we talked about that and, you know, we actually uh, got to see this 360 video. I think it was done by Chris Milk uh, called The Clouds of Sidra where you sort of follow the story or narrative of a, a, a girl from Syria who lived that kind of nomadic life. So that sort of set the stage for the students. And then I, I pre-designed in uh, SketchUp, which is a 3D modeling program, a whole bunch of pieces of Ikea-like flat pack furniture, but they're all mixed up. So there's little pieces of legs here, tabletops, you name it. And I, I had those 3D models put into my VR classroom. And, you know, the activity was I laid them all on the ground and the kids had to put them together. And so that was sort of understanding a bit about sort of systems thinking and how flat pack furniture works. Then they had to design their own little piece of flat pack furniture that might fit into the original scene that we saw of the girl who was a constant nomad and, you know, she showed us in 360 video what her camp looked like when she was just outside of Syria. And then she had to move on to a place in Germany. So the kids had to design a piece of furniture from all these little sort of 
3D models of what might help her in her journey. So that was a really sort of strong, interactive, immersive way of using VR to solve a problem. That's that's great. That's actually some good cases because then you could flop between being in VR or you could be in VR, have this kind of social communication, talk about it, then go experience a very um, realistic looking uh, experience. I'm, I'm Chris Milk is 360, so you can actually have the more of actually feeling like you're there, more realistic. Um, and then you actually have the interactive pieces so you can actually work and, and solve some problems. So that's actually some pretty good use cases. Uh, either, I also do get a limit of so much time that I can spend in VR. I can get about two, two and a half hours, pretty solid. I've been doing it for a long, long time. Um, but there is a limit where you do get like, you just get fatigued, that hurts your head, the back of the head starts to hurt, you start to get a little, get a little woozy. Um, so that, I think that's really cool. Did you know that people sleep in VR? Are you aware that there's, there's, there's an underground. I, I think I saw a guy say he spent like the world record of, I don't know how many hours, but that's the only thing I've seen that was sort of ridiculous like that. So I need, you need to unpack this a bit more. Like why yeah. would people, people, why would people sleep in VR? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the, there's, there's an underground culture of people that sleep in VR and one of the main reasons is for remote relationships. So a, a boy's in the UK, a girl's in the US. Um, and so inside virtual reality, they'll actually put on the headsets, right? They'll lay down like a pillow next to them and then they'll have their significant other lay next to them and they'll also have a pillow. And so when they're laying next to that person, they're hugging the pillow and it feels like they're hugging their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they see them and they can talk to them and they, they go to bed and they're like sleeping under the stars and then they can wake up and they can see they can whisper something to them. And so you still have that feeling of connection. You have that haptics of being there and you have that sensation. And then um, they were talking about, it's really weird when you fall asleep in that moment, right when you wake up and you're coming into being awake and you're in VR and you have this really um, uncertain sensation of what's real and what's not real mm -hmm. because you're inside there. Now there is some issues because it has to be corded. You have to be tangled. You have to be, have that thing tangled up to a, a computer and stuff like that it has to have power. And that's one of the biggest drawbacks of it. Cause like they said that, you know, the cords will like, you know, wrap around them a bit while they're sleeping. And that can be a bit, a bit freaky, mm. but that's one of the main reasons is, is like connections with people around them to have that. If you're feeling lonely or isolated, you can have those people. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. People are doing it. Not a lot of people. Um, but it, it is, it is, you know, it's to serve that, that loneliness need, which I think is a great use for, uh, for virtual reality. Speaking of great uses, I know you alluded to this earlier on when we were talking in our conversation about your VR journey. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm hearing from educators, which I would be curious to see your thoughts on, and that is that they just believe there isn't enough educational content that's available and therefore schools aren't gravitating towards VR headsets. What's your take on that? Uh, I guess it depends. Um, it, educational content, there's, there's always a, there's always a, an excuse for why not to do a thing, right? People feel like, oh, there's not enough VR content. There's not, not enough educational content. There's not that. One of the things that strikes me as I think really funny and ironic and the pandemic has shown me more than anything is that uh, the people that was the slowest to adopt to new technologies are, are schools. 
the places that teach people stuff are the, are the places that are the hardest at learning new things. And so from what I've seen is that unless it's, there's no major incentive for educational institutions to teach virtual reality um, other than it actually providing a better experience for the students. And so because there is no giant economical drive and they're all set in, humans have this weird thing. We're all inherently like things that are comfortable and familiar. Mm -hmm. All right. We want, we want things that are familiar. Um, at the same time, you know, we want, we want, we want to grow. We want to progress. We want to level up. Like everybody loves to be the hero, right? But nobody wants to put in the effort to get there. And so why we admire heroes and the effort that they put in, the reason why we like the montage in a movie is because instead of being the hero that does, you know, nine months of grinding while punching a punching bag, I get to watch a one minute video of a guy punching a punching bag and getting much faster at it. And so I think with schools, there's no, in it, it, it's a, it's a system that's creates security, right? Mm. There's no, there's no incentivization for innovation. Mm. And so I think that's more than that is that if there was a thing where like, if you don't actually create innovation in, in your school, you get fired. If there was an actual motivation beyond that, or there was gigantic donation dollars associated with it and said, Hey, if every kid got a VR headset and they, and then you got an extra, X amount of dollars in your classroom, there'd be proper motivation. But the incentivization structure is is not it's 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 more created for how can I create security for for these people and how do I keep getting paid than necessarily like versus you like you're you're creating something purely out of passion out of enter out of out of the desire to create a better experience over a desire to actually have these kids learn versus how do I prove to the people ahead of me that I'm making a bunch of I'm actually doing my job and I'm getting, and I'm able to qualify for that additional grant, that additional feature, that additional funds. So that's kind of my personal take on it. Good answer. And you know, what struck me when you said that is instinctively, I think, cause this is what my 29th year is the incentivization for many of us who are trying to sort of uh, blaze new trails is the reaction of the kids. Like, the, the kudos I get and the reactions I get from the kids when we're using VR and, uh, you know, trying to struggle through sort of the arduous process of creating some VR experiences, that that is golden. It's magical. Like, I can't, I can't you know, it's, it's just so many thank yous and so many, you know, ahs and oh my goshes and wows over the last four years of me bringing VR into the classroom that, you know, it's worth the grind and the struggle to try and convince either administrators or sometimes fight with parents who think, you know, we shouldn't be using gamification in the classroom. My kid does enough games at home, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. That's funny. It, you know, um, I got started back in virtual reality when I was, you know, uh, Oculus was on Kickstarter. And so, I was one of the original backers on Kickstarter. And so the headset came in, uh, it was janky and it was terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I remember playing it. I remember playing, there was like an old Zelda game where someone took all of the old Zelda graphics and they cut them out and they turned them into 3D objects that faced you. It's probably very illegal this day and age, <laughs> but back then it was just kind of the wild, wild west of the stuff. 
And I remember playing that. And it was so fun. I played for like an hour and I took out the headset and, and it didn't have six degrees of track and only had three. So I had severe motion sickness and I was just like, I am so sick. And that was so fun. And oh my God, that was incredible. <laughs> and I remember taking that around to a bunch of different people, a bunch of different meetup groups and things like that. And that's what got me to actually create a meetup group on the topic. And that's what got me to start doing hackathons for a bunch of universities and a bunch of organizations and groups because of that sensation of that magic that you get when you put it on someone's head. And you're, you're basically this, this um, virtual reality drug dealer of sorts where you give someone this experience and their mind's blown. Yeah. You're like, yeah, see, wasn't that great? Um, but instead of it being like, oh, you can't get it or it's $3,000 for a computer and that, someone can go on Amazon now for 300 bucks mm -hmm. and get it next day aired to their house. And it's just, it's so amazing to watch that go. And to me, it's just, you're right. That's, that's one of the reasons why I love doing it too, is because it's such a, if you can figure out the right mechanisms for communicating what you need to communicate in that medium, you win the game, right? Whatever, whatever game you're playing. Um, because it, it, it like, you're not going to fight a kid like, like, to get a kid to play VR is such a, it's so easy. Mm. It's like, do you want to put this thing on your head? Yes, I do. Let me go inside of it. And as long as it's not something horribly boring, like watching a video for 30 minutes, um, they're, they're going to be pretty engaged. So yeah, I, I totally resonate with that. Like you get that magic itch of giving the magic to people and uh, you didn't have to build the system. You didn't have to be the engineer that coded the thing and made it not work. All you need to do is say, put this on your head and now, now they associate you with that super awesome experience. Um, so yeah, that is, that is beautiful. I, so that's one reason why I got into it. And super awesome is such a good word that I hear over and over again from, you know, grade sevens all the way up to grade twelves. And so I, I love the, your choice of words. Yeah. I, I guess it's probably cause I hear it all the time. Mm. Uh, and that's, and that's the thing, but yeah, looking at, um, I mean, looking at these whole experiences and looking at virtual reality as, as a medium, I mean, where do you see it going in, say, the next, like, three years or so? Like, what what do you see? Do you feel like schools are actually going to adopt it? Like, what do you think um, is going to happen as this thing unfolds? Like, what's going to be the key that opens up the floodgates? Yeah, there's, there's a lot there that I'll unpack. Um, where do I see it going? I think I already alluded to this analogy of it's no different than in the 1990s when teachers had one computer at the back of the room. You know, now, you know, look where many schools, including maybe not so affluent public schools, are almost now at a point where we're giving kids a one-to-one -one computer experience. And so that's come a long way. And it's not just the hardware. It's not just about that. You know, what kids have available to them on the computer, teachers have started to realize and evolve to, you know, uh, there's a great um, app called Kahoot. Kahoot is almost like a trivia game where you can take your curriculum or your vocabulary and you can turn it into this fun interactive sort of trivia game. You know, Kahoot's used by millions of teachers around the world every day. So I'm not the most patient man, but I guess, I just see it inevitable that VR, like the computer in the back of the room, will slowly, slowly trickle into classrooms. I think people like you and maybe me 
need to continue to champion the value of it. And if we do and start to sort of open people's eyes at this awe-inspiring tool, that it will evolve to, you know, it being like a kid having a calculator in their backpack. You know, they'll pull out their VR headset. The teacher might do some some face-to-face -face physical teaching and then say, okay, put on your VR headset. I want you to launch this app. You know, you're going to go do this. You're going to build this, you know, and then in 10 or 15 minutes, they take, they take it off. They put it back on the floor and they debrief and talk about what just happened. That'd be awesome. And really what that you're looking at that is it's, it's something that just makes you take this boring curriculum, you put it inside a gamification software and then output makes your job easier. Instead of you trying to shove it down their throats, they're playing a game and the game is more fun. And that, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And I can, I can see that going. That's kind of like the, the first couple of steps into the, the metaverse or whatever you want to call the new buzzword of, uh, of everybody inside, everybody inside VR. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And that, that is really, really powerful. What do you think is the, um, you asked me, but when I'm, I'm going to ask you, is like the big dragon. What is like the big dragon that needs to be overcome in order to make this type of stuff happen? Uh, absolutely without question that should we still be teaching facts and content, you know, when kids can look this up on the internet, you know, go ahead and Google it. We should be teaching kids to solve problems. We should be teaching kids about, you know, I was reading, uh, Meredith Thompson wrote this book and paper about how she brought VR to students in Australia. And one of the experiences they used was that they had to understand this bigger idea of what what really is instinct how do you teach that well you can't well we, they can define it but do they really know what instinct is and so the she put them in vr where they had to swim with a, a whole bunch of other fish and a shark was attacking them what better way to understand like instinct than that and you know kids were post-tested after, you know, so her little study was pre-test, post-test, where pre-test, post-test, where they were just taught like PowerPoint slides about instinct and read something in the textbook. And then they experienced this VR experience and it was an overwhelming difference. The kids that actually truly knew what instinct was about were the ones in the VR. Man, that is so true. I, I recently got to do a non-VR experience of something similar where uh, last week, um, I got to go with a friend to go lobster diving at night, uh, in the ocean for lobsters. And I had like a little flashlight and as I'm hunting, you know, looking for these lobsters to go grab in the back of my mind, it's like, I hope there's no shock around here. All right. And then you do that and then you kind of like it, but it's interesting because you have this primal sense where you're just balancing out the equations of you need to breathe the water. Cause I'm going to, you know, I have a, I'm scuba, or not, I'm snorkeling, but it, it was, but uh, talk about instinctual being surrounded in water while you're hunting for the thing while something else is hunting you mm. like we're very used to being at the top of the food chain and nothing messing with us but you know that when you talk about being that fish and sharks chasing you there's a primal urge that we have the circuitry from like thousands and thousands of years of love of an instinctual thing so i love that and man i get it they probably screamed and i wish there was a i don't know if there's a video on that but i would love to see a bunch of kids feel like they're being chased by a shark um, yeah, inside there. Me too. And well, isn't that a much more worthy uh, 
curricular thing to do than to get them to memorize things that, like I said, they can just look up. So, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe we're putting the cart before the horse, so to speak, in that the reason that schools aren't gravitating more to bigger ideas and like uh, concepts is because they really don't have a tool good enough to teach them. Mm. And maybe we need to market VR as this tool that we can use to teach concepts, which, you know, is sort of one of the magical things. You know, I, I wrote a book and one of the premises of my book was just that. And, you know, there are certain things to pull out your VR headset. For What's the name one. of your book? Uh, here it is. I actually have it right here. So it's called Immersive Learning. Uh, a practical guide to virtual reality's superpowers in education. And uh, again, in it, I talk a lot about the idea that concept-based education is where VR should hang its hat. Mm, I love it. So it's a Mercer Loon. How do people find the book? I, you can find it on Amazon for sure. And uh, yeah, that's sort of the best place. Okay. And when are you going to turn this book into a VR experience? <laughs> yeah, uh, I unpack a, a lot of applications that people might want to look at to teach some of these big ideas or concepts, you know, tons. There's so many, like I, we didn't even get, one of your questions was, you know, where do you see VR? What subjects do you see VR good for? And, you know, in my book, I talk about almost all of them. Like, like there's narratives where you can be the hero of your own journey and you choose your own story. Like uh, there's one VR experience called The Great Sea. And mm -hmm. The Great Sea is amazing because you're from the eyes of the protagonist and the journey sort of takes different sort of plot turns depending on what you do within uh, the VR experience. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, so much of this, like, you, know, you know, one of the reasons why I have this, this, this whole podcast is raised about Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey, and we've seen it, and it's, it's as old as time, it's spoken as words and things like that, but one of the number one ways that we transfer knowledge is through storytelling, through mm -hmm. modeling behavior, through hearing lessons and insights of other things, and other people seeing that, reflecting on that, and modeling that, and putting it inside here, and so, I mean, that's amazing that there's, there's VR experiences that are starting to do that, because that if you can have students go through this type of experience and actually be able to see that reflect upon that and then actually apply that in real life mm -hmm. i mean right right there is such a powerful powerful lessons as people if they can actually if you can make, make that transfer but so many times we we grew up with video games and so we don't have as much respect because as our video games grew up so did we right and so we evolved with it it used to just be pong and now it is these immersive deep worlds mm -hmm. Um, and, I, and I think there's so much value in it that does get dismissed mostly by people that haven't tried the experiences, that haven't actually experienced it. I've seen the most resistant educators that I've seen are the people that refuse to put on the headset. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? They're like, mm -mm, nope. And it's like, do you want to try it? Like, mm -mm. And I've noticed that. And that's a, that's a, that's a barrier I've come across. So, uh, so maybe, maybe the gateway is for them to read your book, get inspired through the, the, that medium, and then bring it over. Oh, well, this is yeah. great. What other, uh, uh, some other tidbits from the book, some other hooky things that would maybe compel some readers or listeners to actually go through and, and, and actually take action and buy that book on Amazon. 
Yes, a lot we've already unpacked. I mean, another big one, uh, especially because it's on the minds of many educators is, you know, conceivably, it's far less expensive to run a highly immersive program by buying VR headsets. Like we, you know, we can go back to science and we can talk about you had uh, Mr. Shell on. They have uh, lots of great um, VR experiences. One of them is called Hololab. Hololab is a VR chemistry experience where they're actually measuring chemicals and, you know, if they measure or, and it's all based on, again, problem solving where, you know, there's this crowd in front of them and they're sort of sitting on this podium and chemicals pop up beside them and they have to figure out which chemicals based on their, you know, sometimes it's based on qualitative properties like color. So you got to mix certain colors together to get the right outcome. Sometimes it's based on, quantitative stuff like the mass, they have to mass out things. So they're learning beaker skills. They're learning skills that you normally would have to do in a chemistry lab that costs tens of thousands of dollars. But this is a VR headset and a, a VR application that you can get on Steam for, I believe, like $22. So That's cost, beautiful. cost alone, like you could cost out, you know, what is it like to have for example, a giant exercise room, a gym. Well, there are tons of VR experiences that get your heart pumping, like Beat Saber, that might be able to provide just as good a workout, but you could use a VR headset to do it. So, you know, I talk a bit about that and what, what you know, the cost benefit analysis and your return on investment for a VR headset uh, is undeniably very high. And you know, there's there's no reason why it shouldn't at least start to be pilot project projects within schools. Hundred percent, I think it's beautiful and wonderful. Um, so, with that being said, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you can tell them how they get a hold of you? Just try it. It's, it's as simple as that, Dylan. Please, yeah. just take it for a test run. Just try it because you alluded to this and I see this all the time. Uh, it's like crack cocaine. If I can use that analogy, <laughs> once, once you put it on, just like my origin story, just like your origin story, I, I, I rarely can think of in probably a thousand people, maybe 10 out of a thousand have said, that's not for me. The rest of them, kids and adults included have said, I need to look at this further. hundred percent. I think it's beautiful. And with that being said, uh, Greg, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate being on here. I appreciate all the good work that you're doing. Um, I love it. So um, have a beautiful and blessed day and I'll see you on the other side. You as well, Dylan. Great show. And I love being on it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Take care. Bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.